Star Trek Discovery, Season 2, Episode 10, The Red Angel, is over. But we're just getting started here on Post Show Recaps, where so much has happened. So very much has happened. My name is Jessica Lees, and here with me is one bad mother of a co-podcaster, Ms. Angela Bloom. Hey! Hey, Angela. That's so, really funny because that's a podcast that I listen to. It's called One Bad Mother. I love that podcast oh, good, so okay. much. <laughs> I was like, <Yeah>. wait. <laughs> I think so that, that's why it popped in my head. Um, I listened to them before I was pregnant. They're just hilarious. They kill. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're not paying us to endorse them here. Not but at they all. Are, <laughs> they are hilarious. And um, there have been weeks where they've brought something up where it's been like, this is a problem I am having right now. And then the answer is, this is just a thing that everybody goes through and there's nothing Get you can do about it. it. <laughs> just suck it up and deal. And so I, line. <laughs> yes, yes, basically. But you know who could have really used a parenting podcast right about now? Um, I'm going to say Michael Burnham's mom. Yeah, I think her, I think all of the potential parents on this show definitely needed a podcast. <laughs> yeah, they certainly could use some commiseration and I don't know, maybe just someone to tell you, okay, don't get in the time traveling spacesuit and mess up your kid's life. Yeah, or just like if you're going to use that to escape, then just escape and then go get your kid. Like, what? What? You know, so lots to break down here it's it's true it's it's a very very strange situation and i don't think i've still got my head entirely around it but before we get into all of that why don't we go ahead and start things off by talking about the opener to this episode namely arium's funeral because boy that's a character i really would have liked to have gotten to know yeah, I felt like they, I mean, they definitely were trying to pay homage to something, you know, like they're, it, but this is like something that they, they do a lot in Star Trek. They have these quite literally like intense funerals where, you know, um, Doug Jones is singing, you know, some sort of Jewish hymn. And that's <laughs> what it sounded like, if we're being honest. Um, but, uh, yeah, and then it's, you know, Somebody else dies like previously. I mean, where was Colbert's funeral when he was quote unquote dead? You know, where was that? I think it's just like this, this weird thing that they do where they sort of, um, you know, are biased with who they, who they mourn and who they don't mourn. But it's like, uh, if nobody likes you, you don't get a funeral. Or if you're just not that important, I guess, like, or if you don't die in some traumatizing, dramatic way, I, I don't know. Cause the Colbert one isn't a great example. Cause like, realistically all those criteria he did he did meet but that um who was the security officer in the beginning of the series yeah that guy we don't even remember him I don't even nobody remember. talks about her yeah or it was a her right i think it was a her it's yeah but either way while, it's but. like they do tend to to i guess you could say prioritize bridge crew um main character deaths which of course it's a television show i get it but this was a lot it was a long scene too yeah, it was like fully half the episode was given over to eulogizing this character who was a background character for all but the most recent episode. Yeah. And everybody's talking about her like she's main cast. And I've seen main cast get less of a send off than this. Exactly. And I think that's the point is that, you know, they did their best to make us feel and understand the Aryan character last episode. And to really like be invested in her, but to then continue it into this episode with such a long drawn out funeral scene. Um, I just felt like if they were going to do that, then there definitely needed to be more attention on the characters that were talking and giving their eulogies. And I, I mean, I think they, they tried that, but I felt like it was, I, I don't know. It was fine. It was just not the, not necessary because there were so many other things happening in this episode that I would have loved to spend more time on. Yeah, I, I would have as well, uh, because I think the back half got very crammed full of a lot of, you know, psycho, you know, a lot of psychological trauma for various characters. It got crammed full of Section 31 things. Mm -hmm. There were science things. There was technobabble. And all of that could have been 
I think in other shows that would have been a multi-episode arc. Oh, for sure. And I think that it's just like uh, they they're pulling for this, um, you know, sort of jaw dropping ending. And I, I will say I was, you know, at the after the first viewing of this, like, wow, that was fun. That was really good. That was amazing. And then you go back and you pick it apart a little bit and you're like, uh, what was it? You know, so um, I mean, and I just I still really liked the episode, but I, I do feel like you're right. There was a lot of things like time crystals and Leland, you know, uh, letting Burnham know that he was responsible for her parents. And then the scenes between Burnham and Tyler and all the AI stuff and the control stuff. It's just like a lot, a lot, a lot. So yeah, I think that there was definitely an opportunity for them to maybe expand a little bit on some of that stuff. Yeah. So let's start with the AI here because this is confusing. Um, the evil AI that infected Arium. Control, quote. This is, yeah, quote unquote control. This is control or is the AI from the future and did the AI take over control? It seemed like there was a little bit of disconnect there and they spoke about these as like the, as if they were kind of two different things. Yeah. And they say that control should theoretically be destroyed because the station where control lived was completely destroyed. It's like piles of garbage now, but yeah, they're saying, Oh, the evil AI is probably going to come back because well, control's yeah. not in the cloud yeah. at all because they don't have the internet in the future. Well, okay. So I think that control and AI are the same thing, but I think what Pike, I think you're talking about when Pike talks about this and he's like, we can't just, you know, bomb section 31 and then scan the rest of the ships and expect this like sentient AI not to have sort of figured out how to survive that. So um, I think that he's just saying it's not gone because it, it is sentient now and, and just sort of bombing it somewhere and, and making sure it's not on other ships doesn't mean it's not out there, but it, pro- it is still it suspicious. Probably, yeah. It's still super suspicious. And I think one of the main key things that, is making control not land for me as a villain is that we really aren't seeing anything of control. And I think right. maybe this is just the way I'm conditioned, but I want my self-aware AI to manifest itself somehow and communicate with people. And it's just kind of like off screen the entire time. And there's no physical evidence of anything that it's done apart from like make Arium kill herself. Right. So that was what I was going to say. I think that if Arium had remained sort of the control version of the humanoid version of control, that would have been really exciting because it's somebody that we got to know, got to like, and then now she's evil and also, you know, fighting that evil and that, you know, but there was only one episode. So I do think that that's a great point. You know, where is it? What is it doing? And I think we'll get more of that, but clearly they pivoted it really really hard on this episode to be more about it basically just Burnham and this red angel stuff to be yeah. sort of the the culmination of all this all this stuff where hey guess what we knew about it all along is section 31 but we didn't tell you that uh you know the red angel is actually a time travel suit that we were working on what like 20 years ago and you know, now we're going to give you that information. Like, what a waste of time that Discovery just spent. Like, <laughs> what a bummer for them. Yeah. So Section 31 knew exactly what the Red Angel was all yeah. along and knew that Discovery was working on this and didn't say, oh, yeah, our bad. We already, you know, we made that so we know what it is. Yeah. Also, like the time crystal stuff, like what a, <laughs> a time crystal never. OK, sure. That's a thing. That's. That's some like straight up original series. Totally, totally. And I think they do actually. I think if you look it up, like Time Crystal is referred to. And but it's still such a cheesy thing to talk about, like hearing um Leland say like Time Crystal over and over again. I was like, he sounds dumb. <laughs> yeah, he does. It it's it is kind of a step up whenever they talk about tachyons because mm-hmm. I think we all understand tachyons to be time travel and it's like one of those things when you're watching a sci-fi show and somebody makes mention of tachyons, you're like, oh, it's a time travel thing now. You're like quantum physics or whatever. Yeah. 
Yeah. And this is like, oh, well, in case you're too dumb to know what tachyons are, and in case you're too dumb to unpack like quantum physics 101, <laughs> we'll just call it a time crystal. It's like calling it right. unobtainium. Yeah. And so I guess that the time crystal was what they stole on Doctari Alpha or whatever, went to Doctari Alpha to get this, but it had some sort of beacon in it. And the Klingons were going to go there. Um, but the star went supernova, powered up the time crystal, and s- whatever, Burns mom escapes. And they all know this. S- Section 31 is totally in on this, and nobody thought to tell her. Yeah, and they don't even have to tell Burnham anything. I guess if it's top secret information that her mother is still alive, right. they could still like throw a bone to the crew of Discovery who is trying to solve a mystery that is apparently right. not a mystery. But I guess that maybe they, so here's the thing, they know what the Red Angel is, and that's that's a big deal. But maybe they didn't know that her mom actually escaped and that maybe they thought the Red Angel was destroyed, like the suit was destroyed. I, I could see that. But as soon as, as soon as Discovery started researching the Red Angel and Spock's having visions of the Red Angel, somebody should have been like, hey, yeah, here's the deal. Like, we made this. So clearly, you know, it did get out of... Um, you know, whatever situation it was in when the star went supernova and the Klingons arrived. So, um, yeah, I think that the only saving grace for this whole section 31 time angel, time angel, red angel thing <laughs> time is time angel actually like that. Um, yeah. is the, I think that Burnham like acting just carried the whole thing. I mean, I like, that was the only parts of these that I felt like I could believe was her sort of emotional turmoil. So, for that, I'm grateful because we got some stellar act- acting scenes from her this this episode. Yeah, I would say they, the cast on the whole really sells this and maybe makes us feel like it's better written than it is. But yeah, the Definitely. delivery was, was just fantastic on this. And I did love the thought of that they are going to go interact with Michael Burnham's future self, because this is what the assumption is that we're operating on for most of the episode. And it makes a lot of sense given all the information that they have. And in fact, I want to put a pin in this because we're going to come back to this, but you know, they have this, Oh, it's a biosignature that belongs to Michael Burnham. So it must be, we know it wasn't past Michael Burnham because I feel like she would have mentioned that, but (laughs) I don't know. We're not big on mentioning things. It must be future Michael Burnham and she's saving her own life. And yeah, and I think also like saving her own life and all and connected to Spock in a more like intimate way. Yeah, yeah. Although I liked I think Spock got the line of the episode. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that that supposition fits her emotional profile rather precisely, particularly her drive to take responsibility for situations beyond her control. It's between that and when um, Leland's talking about the Klingons' time travel capabilities and that the Klingons would have used time travel to keep humans from walking out of the primordial soup. And then he just turns to Tyler and is like, no offense. And he's like, (laughs) no, none taken. I think it's between those two lines. Funny line of the episode. I I would say uh, they are... Coming hard and fast at the sick burns, which is something I think has been missing from Star Trek series up to this point, almost globally. Like a little humor, very TNG. Um, Yeah. Yeah, but TNG was gentler. This was like TNG was rarely snarky. No, I totally. And I like it, actually. I like the snark. I mean, it's very my cup of tea. Earl Grey hot. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that, that was that was fantastic. Um, and I, I like that Spock is just a sass monster this entire time. It's it's a much it's much more fun. Yeah, let's talk about Spock and his utter nonsense during this episode, where he just like finally comes to terms with the fact that he's been a huge dick the whole season. But he ends up having this conversation with Burnham where. Like he, after she punches Leland in the face and breaks his nose, which was awesome. Um, you know, she, she's like, I brought the guilt into your home. And, um, and then Spock's finally like, oh, well, you were a child. Like, where was that three episodes ago when he was saying the most like destructive, totally awful things to her? So, and then he finally gets like her to apologize to him, which was just very mansplaining in my opinion. 
Yeah. I mean, Spock is condescending. Like that's kind of the, it's the crowning feature of his character and always has been no matter who's playing him. I just felt like it was very much so he says like, He's like, well, I accept your apology. Like, and that was fine. But when he was like, well, you were a child, it just seems like he came around rather quickly to the idea that, you know, now Burnham and him are, are BFFs, which I didn't see happening. I was like totally out on them actually reconciling. So interesting turnaround for Spock. But then, he, you know, goes and lets her die. Yeah, I mean, that that's an interesting, I think it's only this particular relationship can kind of come around into reconciliation by way of one of them insisting that the other one has to die. Right. It's very, very Vulcan logic, you know, with like this sort of afterthought of, of we're reconnecting as humans. Yeah. So here is the part of the story that is very interesting to me. Like if we're operating, because we don't know yet who the Red Angel is yes. at this point in the story. We think it's Michael, but we're, you know. Yeah, we think it's Michael and we're operating on the assumption that it's Michael. So we're setting this trap because we think it's Michael. Here's the part that I think is strange. If it's Michael, <laughs> then future Michael is going to remember this happening and know that it's a trap and not come. Right. A hundred percent. And I was thinking that the whole time this is happening, I'm like, as she, even as she's sitting in the chair, I'm like, she's going to die because she already knows that this is what's going on. You know, maybe she'll die, but it, either way. Yeah. Agreed. I think that it's like typical. It's like they never have, this is supposedly the future and pop culture exists. Then, you know, they should know that in every movie, that's what happens with time travel. But yeah, but <laughs> she can't die because if she dies, then she can't be future Michael and get in the suit. Yeah, it's a very paradoxy. So, yeah, yeah, I don't know what they thought. I mean, the only way to accomplish this would have been to exclude Michael from any sort of conversation after they found out that it was her, you know, like very like, uh, I guess, like clandestine mousetrap situation where they actually do trap current Michael in a mousetrap for future Michael without her knowledge. So. Um, yeah, but you know, Pike had enough problems setting this all up with poor Pike. The, with her full cooperation. <laughs> yeah, he was like, "This is really against everything we're supposed to do." And yes, <laughs> I would. I would have to imagine that doing it without her knowledge and setting her up in a trap where she almost dies is probably frowned upon by Starfleet. I'm just guessing. Right. But then also at the same time, they're this military organization where it's, you know, all for one and one for all, not sort of me. So, um, you know, her willingness to tie herself to an execution chair basically is um, kind of what it means to be in Starfleet in a, in a sense. Like, you know, I'm it's it needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one type of situation. But, yeah, I think Pike is like, OK, yes. Um, but I'm, I can't willingly kill you to do that. Like, it's like very, he's always so like, uh, as how a normal 21st century person would react to the situation. Like that doesn't make any moral sense, but. Yeah, and that's why you have to have Spock there to insist that, oh, yeah. you really do have to kill her. Otherwise it's not going to work. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, he definitely is like, I'm going to, you know, again, if this if this were to go the wrong way and she did actually die, Spock's like mutinied again. And he's just, you know, he basically prevents Pike and Cornwall from crawling off the mission and um, they can't get to her. And, and so, you know, he's, he's going to make it happen. It's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I guess it's probably not the first time people have thought this, but I guess it's good that Spock is there because Spock yeah. is saving all of their bacon. Totally. I mean, like he's doing it in kind of a douchey way, but it's it's fine. He has the beard. Until the beard goes away, he's allowed to be evil, evil Spock. Yeah, that's true. I, I thought it was I think he's going to lose the beard as soon as he like comes off of leave. I think the whole reason he's got like the beard <laughs> and the grunge outfit. Maternity leave beard. He's like the dad that grew out the beard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's He's got the dad beard. Or he's so got the funny. vacation beard. Vacation beard, yeah. 
I don't know if your spouse has ever done this where you go on vacation and he just decides he's going to take a break from grooming and ends up coming back with the wolfman beard. So Mike knows better than to do that. Um, his beard also grows in fire engine red, so we don't let that happen. <laughs> it's pretty yeah, funny. That, that could be a disaster. When uh, he went on, he went on tour once for a children's theater company and I wasn't with him. He did the beard thing then because it was like, do what you want. I'm not going to be there, but. Otherwise, groom yourself, boy. Yep. Yep. Oh, and speaking of groom yourself, Ash Tyler. He's looking worse uh, every episode. He's like going full Daryl Dixon. He's so oh. greasy. And he was so attractive in the first in the in the last season that I just felt like he's just gone so far downhill. But I did really, really enjoy their scenes together. The first scene with the elevator where she's just like Picard tugging her suit down and and uh, and just and just like totally giving him the cold shoulder. I loved that. Um, and then, you know, when they obviously she's super vulnerable and he's, you know, just there to support her and he's not pushing anything. And, you know, then they they do a Star Wars esque. I love you. I know. Um, so, yeah, I felt like they had a good arc this episode. I'm curious to see where that goes in the next episode. But, you know. Well, she's definitely going to make him take a shower before it goes any further. Oh, God, please. Just some shampoo in that hair. It's like you find out you're half Klingon or entirely Klingon or some stripe of Klingon. And it's like it all goes to hell just because Klingons don't shower. So I guess you got to be one now. Yeah. Like, is that why, do you think? The long hair? I think, I think that's he's meant to be more unkempt because he's getting in touch with his Klingon side. I think that's the choice that the actor is making. But... I don't it's, agree with it. <laughs> no, I, I don't either. <laughs> because I do think that like he already got in touch with his Klingon side when he was there. So he needs now that he's back, he's a Starfleet officer. He needs I'm sure there are grooming rules. It's a military type organization. Well, if you're Section 31, I think the rules are a little more lax. I think that's what it is. It's like yeah, but if is he, he was in Section 31 at this point, he didn't know anything. He's kind of yeah. He doesn't he doesn't know much. He's pretty low on the totem pole, but I think like he is yeah, he's working nominally for them. I think I think Leland is the one that signs his paychecks. Yeah, if there are paychecks in this post currency federation existence, but I think in Section Thirty One they don't really enforce the same regulations that they would in regular Starfleet. If he was in regular Starfleet. I don't, I don't even know if you're allowed to have a beard like that, but it's like, oh, I guess it worked pretty well for Riker, and Riker was allowed to get away with that, so I'm going to say beards are okay. Beards are okay, I think, as long as they're groomed. But I do think it's funny, because, yeah, Section 31 does not have any standards. They allow um, Giorgio to be there, and she eats Kelpians, so, you know, what you going to do? Yeah. yeah, well, and Giorgio is like a whole other thing, because it's just like, we've kind of lost the thread about Giorgio being from the mirror universe at this point. It's like, we don't care anymore. Totally. And I feel like she's even acting and I, and this might be superficial and sort of a choice on, upon the actress, but when she says goodbye to Michael, she just sort of like touches her shoulder and like, they have this moment of like, I know like you were, we're good. We're on the same page, like blah, blah, blah. And it just seems like very emotional. And that's just not what we've seen up until then. And then she's sort of, like in the room with Colbert and Stamets earlier. And that's the Giorgio that we thought we would have this season. Uh, yeah, no, Angela, you work in human resources. Oh God, this is like <laughs> sexual assault meets racism meets, I don't know, something worse. <laughs> Do we think that Mira Giorgio really had a three-way with Hugh and Stamets or was she just telling them that to make them uncomfortable? I think she was just telling that to make them uncomfortable, as uncomfortable as I was when she called Culber Poppy. But Ooh, that was that was rough. <laughs> that was rough. Um, yeah, like she's a war criminal. Like she's a bad person, and she, we're just like not. I don't think that's you know being dealt with. But um, yeah, no, that was not good. <laughs> Definitely grounds for termination. But not. Yeah. But again, not in Section Thirty One. That's where the cool kids hang out. Yeah, she's definitely abusing her power there. And that's, you know, she's creating a very hostile work environment. Yeah. I, I do feel like they're kind of losing, they're, they're losing track of the fact that this is not a character that is from this universe. And 
Totally. It's not a character that has these relationships with these people. Like she had a very adversarial relationship with Burnham whenever they were together. And it's almost like they just sort of subsumed previous Giorgio. And it's like, oh, well, I was your captain. Like, no, you weren't her captain. You were the empress of this totally bonkers dystopian parallel universe. You guys are nothing to each other. Well, I think they did have a relationship in the the universe where they were quite close, but in like frenemies way. So uh, yeah, again, it's, it doesn't quite make uh, the sense that they're trying to make it. And I do think that has something to do with that. You know, they're trying to make sure that this actress stays on the show. So, you know, they're reintegrating her in a way that can work. And I get that, but it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I mean, she plays the badass better than any actor in Hollywood, but I think that it's really hard to, it's really hard to get a handle on what should have been a very interesting character. I would like totally. to see more of her struggling to adapt to the world. And I think I've, I've touched on this quite a bit in this very podcast where I want to see there being weird little differences between the mirror universe and our universe. And she's like, huh? Oh, wow. We, we don't put, we don't put salsa on our waffles in this universe. Yeah. Like we see things from left to right instead of right to left, you know, so, or whatever. It is the mirror universe after all. Exactly. Um, yeah, I agree. I think it's, and I don't know if we're just sort of, falling into the trap that the writers are setting for us of forget about this for now because it's going to come up later and then you'll be shocked. But um, I'd rather know a little bit more (laughs) instead of just like, especially if we're going to put her in all these scenes and she's going to be like a pivotal character of section 31 where she just for some reason has all this power and this responsibility. Yeah, it it is kind of a lot. And if she's just going to, if her whole purpose is to be here to make people uncomfortable then she did it. Yeah, that's a different show. Like That's like the Star Trek version of The Office, which could be one of the nine million <laughs> spinoffs we're doing, but it's Actually, not the show. I would watch that. I would oh, watch totally that. watch that. Yeah. Workplace comedy. It's kind of like, I guess, with what the Orville is, the Seth MacFarlane Star Trek yeah, parody. Yeah, that is true. Which I, I've heard like a lot of my friends that are very into Star Trek say it is the Star Trek series that they were waiting for, the even over and above Discovery. And I'm kind of team Discovery myself, but I will certainly, it's one of those ones where in my ample free time, I'm definitely going to go back and binge it. It's pretty fun. I will say I do. I had pretty low expectations because I expected it to be sort of crass and stupid, but he has such reverence for the shows of Star Trek and Star Wars and all these like space fantasy worlds that it really comes through in the show. You know, it's, there are comedic moments and it is meant to be funny, but it's also quite serious at times. Like he puts a lot of effort into making it, um, you know, quality television programming, not just uh, family guy in space, which I didn't expect. So I guess, cause he's a big fan. It, it came across that way, which is great. That's, that's good to know. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I was expecting Family Guy in space and wasn't really here for it, but I'll I'll give it a shot. Yeah, you definitely right. should. <laughs> so let's go, let's go back to Hugh for a second because I feel like he had another couple of interesting moments this week. Um, one of which is since he's not fully back on duty yet either, instead of getting a vacation beard, he's just walking around with like this sharp suit and his shirt unbuttoned to his navel. It's because he's so sexy. Why is he being so sexy? Uh, I guess he's on the rebound. Is he trying to upset Stamets by doing that? It's it's very confusing. Well, it's kind of like how Spock is dressed, too. He's dressed very strangely. Like, whenever Michael or Ash or any of these other people have been out of uniform, it's always been in sort of, like, athletic attire, but still sort of streamlined, you know, Starfleet looking athletic attire, things that like you would wear off duty, but definitely it's not like Picard going to Risa uh, in a deep V <laughs> linen blend outfit, which is just all I ever want. Um, but I think that with Spock, like they're clearly going for like this evil looking all in black type dude, but again, like he is also dressed very provocatively at points, and you're just like, what's 
what's that about? You know, that's a little weird. Like, even when, yeah. when um, Michael wasn't an officer, she had a uniform. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she did. Um, and it's funny because I feel like every Star Trek series up to this point has kind of put people in their civilian clothes and future civilian clothes pretty much always look like pajamas, which that tracks because in the future, if I'm not at work, I'm going to be in my pajamas. And in fact, in the present, in the future. Yeah. I was like, that's in the future. I do that now. Silly. (laughs) In the present, all of my clothes look like pajamas. If I'm not at work. Um, It's like the leisure athletic wear. Yeah, and you know, they they always has its like particular decade flavor to it. Like, you know, Deep Space Nine had a lot of asymmetrical necklines because they were trying to be sort of, you know, post new wave. And then I feel like we had some, we had a very interesting late 80s color palette happening with all of the civilian clothes on TNG. But now it's like, oh, it's the future. Everybody wears black. Okay. Like, everybody's always at a funeral in the future. Apparently. They're always at Ariam's <laughs> funeral in the future because they're still talking about how great she is. Yeah, Ariam's the best. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I think Saru had a great moment, too, as well, uh, uh, because he's continuing oh, yes. to... Leland. I yes, with, about that. With Leland, he's continuing to, he's continuing to have that sort of, I went through, I went through my species evolution and now I'm super ballsy. And I thought he really, he's about the only person that put Leland off his game a little bit. Yes, for sure. I mean, I think Leland's getting annoyed with him because he's, uh, volunteered to help him and he's like did Pike make you come here like I don't need a babysitter like blah blah and, and Saru's like no I came here because you know I'm I don't trust you know I feel like there's something you're not telling us not that I don't think you're you know doing this for the right reasons because I can tell that because I'm a Kelpian but yeah I mean he definitely comes out on top there where it's he's like no I'm not I'm not spying on you I'm just I'm near you. <laughs> Spying near you. Yeah, like I'm not gonna. It's not gonna be that uh, that type of a spying situation. But I do need to know that you know I I care about all these people and and I don't want them to be put in danger. If there's something that you can do to to give us some more information. Yeah, yeah. I I think Saru could have had more to do this episode, um, but he got to sing a song and he got to put Leland in his place. <laughs> he did get to sing a song. He, I did not expect Doug Jones to have such a good voice. It sounded great. I was like, wow. Yeah, I mean, in a, I'm sure you saw the viral video that went around earlier in the season. Um, did where- I? Anthony Rapp got everybody to sing a song for Rent. (laughs) Yes, I did see that, which nobody, why wasn't Doug Jones in that? I thought he was in that. Oh, was he? Yeah. Because I thought it was just Anthony Rapp and like a bunch of people who couldn't sing, but I don't remember Doug Jones (laughs) being in it. Yeah, it but was, I also was very cringe. It was cringy, so I wasn't watching that closely. Yeah, it was not a lot of great singing. Like Mary Wiseman is okay. Because to get yeah. through Juilliard, you have to pass a vocal audition to get into that program. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's okay. Sonequa Martin-Green, as a singer, she is a very, very good actor. Yes. <laughs> so she acted like she was a good singer. And yeah. she did all right. <laughs> yeah. I, and then Doug Jones had a verse of that. And he was on key, but that was about it. Yeah, I mean, I guess that we can also give them all a pass because it was like a parody song. It wasn't meant to be like a... Like mind, but melting, amazing song, you know. So yeah, that, that's true. I, but I, I understand. I felt the same way about it. Like people were going nuts for it, and like, but they're not really singing that. Okay. I was like, this is cringy. But I do really appreciate the camaraderie that this cast has. I mean, even just on Twitter, you see a lot of like love for each other, which I think is great. Makes for fun, fun viewing. Yeah, they are they are very fun. It does seem like this is the cast you probably most want to party with. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yep. Uh so I think they they got our memo about how this crew needs a 
counselor because Admiral Cornwall. Oh my God, yeah. What the hell? I, she's a high-ranking Starfleet admiral. Does she not have to do admiral things? Or can she just, like, sit around and listen to people talk about their problems? Well, yeah. So here's the thing. Like, in what universe did Colbert think it was, like, cool to Google search the admiral, find that she was, like, a psychology major in, in college, and go sit down with her and say, like, hey, I know that, you know, before you became an admiral, you were, you know, more on, like, a fit. Like, how would, like, how did he think that was cool? Because, like, we're in the middle of a crisis, so I need to talk to you about my feelings and my boyfriend. He's like, I'm like, okay. She was a good sport about it, but, um, yeah, that, he probably should have maybe read the room a little bit on that one. Yeah, I mean, beggars can't be choosers when it comes to, like, finding mental health assistance on this ship because apparently nobody right. gets nobody gets a ship's counselor sure. until next and generation I'm glad that he talked to somebody about it but you know she, and she did she did a good job she was i i felt like she was a traditional like and how does that make you feel type <laughs> of thing but um you know i felt like she sort of was like okay i'll humor this for a minute yeah, and then i gotta get back to what i was doing before if that's the whole reason she wound up on this ship for this whole arc, that's pretty hilarious. That would be so funny. I mean, I, I think they just wanted to get her back in the mix, but um, why? I don't know. I didn't really care about her before. <laughs> it's an insult to admirals everywhere. Yeah. Like, if you want a counselor, get a counselor. Like, cast somebody else. Like, Or just say it's like Cornwall's identical twin sister who happens to be a counselor if you need the actor so madly. Yeah, although I do think, like, maybe they were trying to put this in there as, like, a, oh, in the future, there's going to be counselors on ships. Like, maybe that was something they were going for as well. They try to do that a lot on this show I've seen. Maybe she's going to handle it really badly. And the fallout from it says, okay, now we really need to have real licensed counselors dedicated to the job on right. the ship. Because here's what happens when you don't. The advice she gave Colbert was, like, not really any different than everyone else has been saying, like, give it time, sort of, you know, take yeah. care of yourself. Yeah, I if I, I don't know why this scene is even in there, because like, she didn't have any insight for him. Yeah, like, you're not okay, it's okay not to be okay, that type of thing. Yeah, and I mean, granted, nobody has a template for, so you died and spent nine months in the spore world and then came back and you're not yourself. Right. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's kind of similar to like when I forget when Saru was like, um, like, how do we deal with this? Like, we don't have any, there's no sort of like Starfleet rule book about what we've been through. So, you know, let's do it. Yep. Yep. And I, I like there was a great thread on Reddit about, uh, about Culber not being back on duty yet. And the reason being because they don't have any precedent for his situation and they have to figure out how to relicense him after he's been dead. That would be like a fun bottle episode, uh, very much so like the uh, uh, is data a human, is data not a human episode. I want a trial. Give me a trial. Because you have to assume that every ship in all of Starfleet has crazy stuff like this on this level of crazy happening all the time. Yeah. And so people are going to have to write rules for this. And I, I do like that Discovery, it seems like the whole theme of the show is all of those rules that exist in the future set series. Mm -hmm. This is the reason. These are the, these people are the reason that all of these rules exist. And here's why we put these rules in place. Well, and it's kind of funny you bring that up because it had me thinking about, um, you know, in the, I guess this is, if we can consider these canon, but when Spock dies in the movies, um, you know, I think that spoiler alert that happens. Um, but I think like he perhaps sees Michael sacrifice herself needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. And that's something he will go on to say and then do the same thing, you know? So, um, yeah, I think they, they definitely try to do that. It's, it's, pretty concrete proof that Discovery is trying to lay the groundwork for something that we know already as canon in the future. Yeah, and sometimes I think it works really well, but 
you know, as long as they don't go down the route of like Enterprise talking about the bumpy Klingons, which is always my touchstone for things you don't really need to explain because any explanation. Yeah, like I had to glean that that Spock, you know, is watching his sister sacrifice himself and that's something he's going to be learning. And then in the future, he will do the same. You know, it's not like they shoved that down my throat, but. You know, they, if you point it out and say, remember when we had Klingons that looked like this? Now they look like this. Like like when it, earlier in the, se- the season, they talked about how the Klingons are growing their hair out. It's like, OK, we get it. Yeah, sure. Fine. I, I don't I don't need to know. But yeah, like I can see that. <laughs> I'm not going to be upset in, you know, two years when we're watching season four. And I'm like, huh, they all have hair now. They used to be bald. What's up with that? I can, I can kind of I can get it, piece it all together. Yeah, you're pretty, I, I feel like the, there are times when they discount the intelligence of the people watching the show, but... A little bit, and then sometimes there's times when they just gloss over everything in a huge way. Yes. And, and you're left trying to piece it together. Yeah, for sure. It is a for roller sure. coaster ride, for certain. Um, or is it a, uh, a torpedo being launched into space? It could be with that. a body in it. Yep, <laughs> certainly. I, I noticed that they had to delete everything in Arium's memory banks before they could shoot her into yeah, space. Yeah, that was, yeah, so that kind of answered our question from last week where we were saying, like, what's, what are they thinking just shooting her into space? Like, so now she is just an empty shell, but. Yeah, uh, like, you can't just plug sad. a USB drive into her and, and, and download everything on her. Yeah, but that was pretty sad. I was a little bummed when, like, they were looking at it in the last pictures, her and her husband on the beach. Tear. Yeah, that was. That was rough. But I've, it also seems like it's the sort of thing like if this had been Data, they could have done the thing like they did when Data died and like take all of his. Yeah, put him in a new Data. <laughs> yeah, take all of his Data and put it in a new Data. Totally. I agree. But I guess like it's a little different because he's a, he's a full android where she's, you know, her human self was still in there. You know, you sort of see her brain in that one seat that one scene this episode, which was kind of gross, but um, yeah, maybe it's a little different, but still seems like they could have looked into it. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least like save the memory of her with her husband and like put it in a frame on the wall or something. We're going to honor her. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yep. Did you, did you happen to notice that the original actress for Arium is now serving on the ship in a different capacity. I didn't. Where was she? <laughs> uh, they brought on they brought on a tall blonde woman yeah. onto the oh, bridge. Oh yeah, I did notice her. I did notice her. I didn't know who she was. Yeah, that was the original actress that played Ariam last season, and then they put her in another role this season and cast a different actress for Ariam for the few episodes that she was in this season, but I guess they like this actress. So they're going to keep her on in a different capacity. I imagine she doesn't have to get up quite so early to put on all that makeup. It must be a relief. Yeah. Really? She just tire her back. That's good. I'm glad they're reusing her. Cause that would be kind of a bummer if I was cast as Arian. Yeah, it's, it's true. Um, I feel bad for the replacement actress. They cast her like basically just to kill her off. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I guess like they needed somebody who looked different enough to be in those, um, those scenes too, um, that are her memories. So I get it. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Um, let's see, what other things did I want to touch on? Um, here was something that I found interesting, uh, that I do not know the answer to, and maybe you have a theory. Why did the scan say that the Red Angel was Burnham when it's clearly not Burnham? Right. So what what are the what do they call the scan again? Is like a bioneural signature? Yeah. Neural. So that's not technically like uh, brain waves or something that's like unique to a person. It's like I guess from what I gleaned, um, like more of a psychological bio profile. So I guess. She's so similar in that regard to her mother that it, it could be mistaken for her. Plus, they don't have anything to compare it against except Burnham. So it's possible Tilly just made an educated guess here because nobody else is really. I mean, they do go back and they confirm it. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what that kind of a scan shows and how how accurate it is. It's not like it was DNA 
or something that is specific to each person. So maybe it can be sort of confused for, you know, a parent and they just know her parents are dead. So they'd assume um, it can only be her. She doesn't have any other relatives, but that was kind of dumb on their part. Sort of like low-level forensic science. Um, yeah, yeah, like 1980s forensics. <laughs> you can determine that it's a female relative, that, but you don't know if it's a mother right. or a sister. Right, and so in this case, they're saying, well, she doesn't have anyone else, so it must... I mean, it's kind of weird that they would assume it's her, but I guess because it's time travel, they've already made that sort of that sort of leap of faith of... Um, you know, this is a possibility because, you know, we've seen this Red Angel time travel already. Yep. Or the other bonkers theory that I've been reading about that I kind of love, and I, I think we might see this, is it because every time we saw the Red Angel, that wasn't necessarily the same person in the angel suit? That's possible. Could it yeah. be that, could it be that, that we see Michael get into that suit at some point? I don't know. I mean, maybe. Uh, yeah, maybe it's possible. So, I mean, there could be an op- an opportunity for them to, it depends on when they took the scan and all of that, but, um, hmm, interesting point, but I think we're also, I think that might be too clever for what they're going for or the word they're thinking about it, but I like it. <laughs> you should be a writer <laughs> on Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> well, I, I don't think... I don't think my brain works fast enough to cram as much information into an episode of Star Trek Discovery. God, no. Oh, my gosh. This episode was so much, so much detail that, you know, I'm still, I'm going to have to watch it again. Yeah. I I feel like I need to, once the season is over, I need to go back and binge the whole series again because it's just so much. Um, And I think I said last time when we watched season one, we rewatched, I rewatched the whole thing with Mike because he hadn't been watching it with me and I tend to watch things quicker. So when he would watch the episode, I'd watch it again. And I found that it was like much more succinct and put together and the plots made more sense when it was back to back. Yeah, it does. It is a show I think is almost built for a binge, uh, kind of along the lines of totally. like Orange is the New Black people care about it for one week out of the year and then they go back to forgetting about it. And nobody yeah, it's hard to watch week to week. Nobody would, I think that it would be hard to like remain, you know, sort of invested in the characters. So I get it. Yeah. And it, it, it is kind of the same thing here where I feel like so much goes on that it's hard to go through a whole week. You know, I go and I podcast about one to two other shows and I go to work and I raise a child and I go to the gym and then I come back yeah. and it's been like a whole week of all other information. And now I have to go back to, okay, where were we and who were these people again? And what was this? And right. I think television over time has gotten more complicated and it's great that we can tell these kinds of huge sweeping stories, but it's also at the same time, like, I think I'd be getting so much more out of it if I could just watch it all in one fell swoop. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's like if we were podcasting about the original series right now, we wouldn't be having these questions of like, well, what did that mean? Or what did this mean? You just would know. So yeah. it's it's a good point that uh, television is more intricate for sure. Yeah, it's it's far more ambitious. Um, this is, might be, I would say this is the most ambitious Star Trek series, probably most ambitious Star Trek project we've ever gotten. And I think yeah. that is fantastic to watch. I love I love having to process it. It's it's a lot of work, but I think it pays off. Yeah, I agree. And I think that it's it's exciting and and I love that, you know, the characters are so um, you know, maybe we don't see it all yet, but they're definitely well drawn up and they're well thought out. There's levels to them, there's layers to them. They're not one note. Um, you know, even just Sonequa uh, Martin Green's acting in this episode was you know, you can see like the the steps she's going through to come to terms with the fact that Leland basically killed her parents. And then, you know, she goes from feeling very sad and upset by the news to just freaking pissed. So, um, yeah, I like that. It's definitely more of a an ambitious project. Yeah, but it's, it's going to get complicated next episode, like more complicated than it is because it's already complicated. But yeah, I, <laughs> I'm already tired to- just thinking about it. 
I have to wonder, how is this mom thing going to play? Because I have seen this exact twist happen in so many shows mm-hmm. and it never goes down well. And yeah, and is this going to be the one time it works? Yeah, it's another sort of like, oh, I haven't, I haven't talked to her in so long. I like, I missed her. Like, so I'm happy to see her. But, you know, how are we connecting that sort of drama? And then on top of that, like, is, is she stuck in this time now? Because they broke that thing that was connecting her to whatever time she was in, which I'm assuming is the time of like the original time of when Michael and her family were on the planet which is like escaping my mind right now um but is is she like now back in the present she's good to go like just having not aged yeah and we know (laughs) i i think we're probably gonna find that out like how much time has passed for her between allegedly dying and you know getting into the suit and piecing out of there because if it's more than like a month it's kind of bad parenting. It sure seems Agreed. like she Agreed. should have because unless found she a thought way. like unless she thought that Michael was already dead when she but got she doesn't because she's the red angel. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. She knows her whole she knows Michael's not dead. Her whole reason for being is to save Michael's life over and over. She knows exactly what happened. Maybe she couldn't escape from the suit. Maybe this was like a flaw in the design where she, when she, you know, was the power from the supernova kicked it, the time crystals into high gear. That's a sentence. Um, <laughs> she, she was sort of stuck in this, like I can like quantum leap esque situation of leaping from, you know, time period to time <laughs> period, not being able to like get out. And so maybe this was like a saving grace of like, they helped her maybe. So she can't escape the suit. I wonder, I wonder how she goes to the bathroom. <laughs> You know, it's not a good theory, but it's a theory. It, it is a theory. <laughs> um, but it's going to be, I think we've seen, I can think of two very recent streaming service series where the big twist has been that the like previously a thought to be deceased relative comes back into play. And I don't want to give away too much, but this was a plot point on the second season of Jessica Jones mm-hmm. and her mother turned out to be this like malevolent figure. And it was like the, the series went off the rails. I kind of stopped paying attention at that point. Like this is getting soapy and it's, it's too also, much. yeah, it's also like if you were a parent and your child thinks you're dead there better be a really, really good reason behind it, or it's irresponsible to let your child keep thinking you're dead. Yeah, the only way this works is if you like you know your child's alive, but you can't get to them. They're they're taken care of. You know it's okay. You have something to take care of, but you'll come find them. Like I get, I get where they're coming with that, but at the same time, she's clearly trying to save Michael, so she knows she's not okay. In like multiple instances, specifically her childhood, where she's stuck living on Vulcan as the only human, and her brother and her hates her, and she doesn't you know get along with anyone, and she wants to run away. And yeah, where where are you at, mom? Yeah, it, it's it's really it's kind of upsetting to think. So that, we'll see what excuse yeah. they give us. Yeah, she better have a good one. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I'm not so- sure we'll be satisfied. Probably not. But on the other hand, there's been a lot of stuff this season that I thought, there's no way they can explain this in any satisfying way. And they do it. Like, I was thinking that with all the buildup and all the talk, revealing the identity of the Red Angel can't be anything shocking because I've heard every theory in the book. And somehow they managed to make that work. I thought it was very effective to think that you had it revealed at the beginning of the episode and then actually reveal yeah. it at the end of the mm-hmm. episode. That was great. It did take me a while. Like I was like, when she took off her helmet, I was like, Oh, is that like old Michael? Like I thought maybe for a second, like, Oh, Michael's aged and it's her from the future. But um, no, it's her mom, which was like, yeah, I was shocked. So good job. Yeah. So I guess if any show can give us a good reason for this twist to have happened, this is the show that'll do it. Yes, agreed. And I, I'm 
like we're hard on things. We break it down, but I'm excited for the the next episode, you know, as well after watching this one. Just there was a lot of um vulnerability and, and things that sort of tied me tied me to the plot again, whereas I may have been losing may have been losing some of that like <laughs> genuine interest in watching um right away and now I'm excited. So that's good. They did their job then. Yeah, they certainly did. And I think it's a question more likely to be answered than the one about why would you put a sharp stick inside your retinal scanner? Oh, my God, that was gross. That like really gagged me. Um, And I also don't get it. (laughs) It was was upsetting. I think it was the AI was coming for Leland was I think what was happening there. Yeah. Like, is he going to be under control's power now? They like put control they put something in him or did they well, I mean, just it, just, it was like a needle i guess so yeah maybe maybe yeah, he's dead yeah i don't think he's dead but Darn. i do think he's coming back <laughs> with an eye patch yeah and everyone's gonna be like very lorca about this they're like why do you have to put eye drops in <laughs> yeah it's uh, there's a lot of i I would say 23rd century ophthalmology mm-hmm. is something that we get a lot more of than I would have expected. Totally. It's like they've been doing this, I think, in a lot of different Star Trek series, too. Like maybe we should have figured it out. Like, we have LASIK now. Yeah, it, it's one of those things where I – and I highlight it every time I see something like this in a Star Trek series where it's like, oh, they thought we would have this in the future, but – they thought we we'd have it twenty two hundred years in the future, and we kind of already have it. Yeah, <laughs> it's so, funny. I, I do love well, those when they like, yeah, especially in like TNG. It was the eighties, and we didn't have any of that stuff. So it's like very, like, uh, you know, we can say that now, but they were definitely, you know, thinking we'll never have this. We won't have this until two hundred years from now. You know, maybe like ten. <laughs> and there's a lot of stuff that they thought we'd already have that we don't. So I, I'm going to say there are some things that I'm pissed that we don't have. So I'm going to say we're probably a little bit further from warp technology than Zephram Cochran would have us believe. Agreed. Yeah. But, you know, I could use a replicator if we could get on that. Yeah, I definitely I'd be I'd be down to have a replicator. Totally. I do not want to cook anymore. <laughs> Well, apparently you can still cook for a hobby. Yeah, like Riker. Yeah, Riker does it and uh, Ben Sisko does it. And it's better food than what you get from the replicator. But, you know, if it's like B I want plus, the option. If I can get I some want- B plus pizza out of the replicator, I'm going to be good. I'll take it. I'll take it. Yep, 100%. Especially after work, you're just like, oh, God, to feed my family. Nope. Go to the replicator, whatever you want. Right, right. And the replicators in this series, you know, they monitor your diet and nutrition. So no yep. chocolate sundaes for Troy. Yeah. Oh, that would be. You know, right. I take it back. I don't want a replicator if it's going to judge me. <laughs> well, they clearly get rid of it because every time Troy wants chocolate, which is every episode she's in, um, it gives it to her. So. Yeah. Or maybe if you're if you're a Betazoid, you can have all that chocolate and nothing happens to you. Your wig just gets bigger. Right, right. It it all goes straight to the hair. Straight to the hair. Yep. So there's one more thing I wanted to highlight because we got a really great tweet um, from one of our listeners. MX, MX Gollum tweeted out a great gif, which I will retweet so people can see it in my thread. Um, he points out that there's an interesting directorial choice that's been happening and across multiple episodes with different directors um, where they're setting Pike up so that there's some light shooting out behind him to give him a sort of angelic halo effect. And I think it's hilarious. Um, I have, yeah, I saw this tweet and I didn't notice this at all. So he's like Jesus basically. Oh yeah, he definitely is. And I think knowing that we know now the disappointing news that Anson Mount is definitely not coming back next season. I Ugh. feel like we're either setting him up to have something terrible happen to him and he goes out like a martyr or he's getting his own spin-off series with Rebecca Romaine and I'm here for that too. Yeah, so I'd be here for that because I do know that they can't really kill him off because doesn't he end up retiring to live on the planet 
He, well, he does. He goes era? into, he has the accident. So he's yeah, got a few so, years of service ahead of him, but he. And there's a cannon there. They can't really, I yeah. mean, they could change it, but it would be, uh, they don't tend to do drastic changes like that. No, they have, he has that accident coming up and he has to go into the washing machine that beeps. Mm-hmm. Um, that's definitely <laughs> right. a thing that happens, but they could make the choice to show that accident. I think it's a yes. few years off, but they could fudge the timeline. And if they really yeah, wanted to send him out. That. Yeah. But we'll see. I would say probably the last shot we get of him is he gets into his old style uniform and he has a clean shaven Spock raise an eyebrow in the same uniform and they get back mm-hmm. on the Enterprise together. And that's the last we see of them. Yeah, that would be satisfying for me. I mean, I think that well, I love him, Anson Mount. I want to see more of him. And I just think that if we see more of him, it should be in his own series because it's there There already are too many characters in this series. And I would want to focus on him more personally. Yeah. Yep. With or without the halo. <laughs> the halo is great, though. <laughs> it, it, it is pretty great. I, I'm enjoying I'm enjoying it. Um, and now I'm going to be tracking it. Now, this this is the other thing I'm going to look for when I go back and do a rewatch. Yeah, for sure. And I wonder who thought of that because it's like kind of random, but I like it. Yep. It's it's fantastic. All right. So, Angela, is there anything else we need to to touch on before we wrap anything up? No, I think it's funny that we sort of whipped through that episode considering it was so um, so heavy with content. But I, I do feel like the content was pretty straightforward. So now we have to wait till next episode to get the detail. You know, we got the plot outline. We figured out what's going on with the Red Angels. So now, you know, what's next? And that's, you know, pretty cool stuff. I think basically what we unpacked was a whole list of questions that we then have to have answered next week. <laughs> and if we don't, we'll burn down CBS. Just kidding. I think we'll well I think we'll stick around a few more episodes because they probably won't give it all to us next week. And in fact they better yeah. not because yeah. I will not be here next week. I I have to travel for work and anybody that wants to start rumors about me being cast on some reality show or another, feel free to do that. It happened the last time I went away and skipped out on a podcast, but I really, it's very boring. I'm going to, I'm going to fly to another continent to be in one very long eight hour meeting and then I'm flying right back. But in my absence, Angela is going to stick around for one more week and she and her lovely spouse, Mike will be back in his regular co-hosting chair and the two of them will be breaking down everything that happens next week. And I'm very jealous because I think you're going to get a lot of answers that I'm going to want to be talking about. Well, yeah. And to be fair, he missed this week. So I'm sure you guys will break it down when you get back together in a, in a couple weeks from now. Yeah. Someday when I get to talk to Mike again, we'll have a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah, same, right? <laughs> yep. But um, yeah, I'm happy to have gotten to do two episodes with you. It's been a blast. Yeah, this has been really fun. I'm really glad to have you on there. Um, as much as I love talking to Mike, it's really great to have the true Star Trek fan of the Bloom family yeah, here really. with me. Really? Don't let him fool you guys. <laughs> do a super deep dive and... That has been very, very fun. So thank you so much, Angela, for being with me on this crazy ride. Um, And I want to thank all of you out there listening for sticking with us for all of this craziness and this rotating hosts. It's like Starfleet captains coming in and out of the Discovery. Uh, But we're – as we're closing in on the end of the season, we'll be back to normal in a couple of weeks. And – Thank you all for listening to everything and sticking with us. We love hearing from you. We love getting tweets, especially tweets are very fun. You can tweet at me at Haymaker Hattie. Uh, and you can find me at Ange Pelagi. And Angela, what else are you doing out there in the, in the podcasting slash media world? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. I only came out of my maternity to podcast with you. I'm growing a child. It's it's a lot of work. I can attest to it that. It is. And you're doing very important work out there, and we're happy to have you on the podcast. You are a delight whenever whenever we do get you. Um, we encourage everybody to leave us comments. Thanks. <laughs> we encourage everybody to leave us comments on uh, 
on the Twitter. And also you can go to postshowrecaps.com, find the thread for the episode and leave longer form comments there. We do check those out and we respond whenever we can. It means a lot to us. If you want to subscribe and rate and review us in the iTunes store, that helps boost the profile of the podcast and that makes us all very happy as well. There is a lot going on in the post-show recaps slash Rob has a podcast world. Uh, Rob and I are finishing up our run of The Walking Dead. We got two episodes left in the season and they're going to be crazy. I promise you that if they're anything <laughs> like this arc in The Walking Dead comics, we're about to get our minds blown. And so that's going to be very fun. And those usually drop on Mondays after the episode airs. Um, Game of Thrones is coming up. They're winding down their rewatch and we also have over on the Rob Has a Podcast side, of course, all of the wonderful Survivor content. I got to join Rob this past week for the Wiggle Room, filling in for Josh Wiggler, who's also off on some mysterious assignment. We had a lot of fun doing that. And many, many other fine shows are available. Whether it's reality or scripted, I think you'll find something to suit your taste. So thanks once again to Angela Bloom for joining me this week. Thanks to all of you for listening. And we'll see you next week. This post-show recap of Star Trek Discovery comes to us thanks to our friends at True Car. Every car comes with its share of stories. That ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date. The luxury package you got after a big promotion. The giant cube of salvage that contained only your ship and none of the robotic squid probe you picked up from the time rift. Or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer. While you can't put a price tag on your stories, now with TrueCar, you can at least find out what your car's worth when it's time to sell or trade it in. Just go to TrueCar, simply enter your license plate number, and watch how your car's details pop up. Then answer a few questions. Navigation and moonroof, watch as they bump up your value. High mileage? You already knew it was going to cost you, but now you know how much it dings your wallet so you can plan ahead. Once you're finished, you'll get a true cash offer sent in minutes, which you could take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. True cash offer not available in all areas.